just give me Jesus. We've been walking through over the last, I don't know, probably month or so now, I guess, asking this question, who is this God that we worship? We've talked about God being Trinity. We've talked about God being King. We've talked about God being Father. Last week we talked about God being Sovereign. That His reign and His rule and His authority has no equal, has no match, and certainly has no um, no higher authority. Beginning today and over the next couple of weeks, we are going to begin to ask the same question, who is this God we worship? We are going to begin to focus more on the second person of the Trinity, and this morning we simply want to state as a matter of biblical fact that Christ, that Jesus, is God. Next week we'll talk about Christ's humanity and over the next couple of weeks his death and his resurrection. But this morning I just simply want us to remember, recognize, stand in awe, worship this Jesus who is God. We're going to be in several different places this morning in both the Old and the New Testament. But really my, my desire, my goal this morning is threefold. It's first to demonstrate from the Scriptures, to demonstrate from the Word of God that Christ, that Jesus is indeed God. Secondly, as God, I pray that we understand that He is sovereign, that we looked at last week, and because He's sovereign... Jesus is the head of creation, but more specifically, he is the head of his church. And finally, I pray that we understand that because Jesus is God, and because he put on flesh, we, through his grace, through his grace in redemption, through his grace in sanctification, we both individually and corporately as his body are being restored to the image of God that He created us in, and that was distorted and damaged and broken in the fall. I know this sounds like a lot, and it is, but I pray that we, we grasp the beauty of Christ. I pray that we grasp the glory of Christ. And I pray that we indeed continue to worship Christ as our Redeemer. I'm going to ask if you will, we'll turn to the first passage of Colossians chapter 1, is where we're going to begin this morning. As I said, we're going to be in several different places. The first of those is going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 15. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses of this passage as we, as we come to realize what the Bible actually says about Jesus and his deity. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 begins this way. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is, therefore, before all things, and in him all things hold.
together. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we can come to your word to meet you, to hear your voice speak to us, to know your truth as it is revealed who you are. This morning we especially thank you that in your word we find you revealing yourself in Christ who created all things and through him and for him and by him all things are created. Father, this morning we just pray that we can sit at your feet and begin to grasp the beauty of our great God, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This passage from Colossians, Paul is writing to this small church in response to some measure of false teaching. Most scholars aren't real sure exactly what it is, what exactly the teaching is, but it has something to do in regarding the nature of Christ, who He is. And so Paul opens this letter by affirming some imperative truths in relationship to Jesus. First, he says, He is God says in this passage, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Much like I mentioned last week when Jesus answered Philip's question in John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He opens up this passage, he opens up this teaching by, by reminding the Colossian church that Jesus is the exact impression, the exact image of God. When we see Jesus, we see God. But he continues, Paul continues and demonstrates that because he is God, that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. All things. All things in heaven, all things on earth. All things visible, all things invisible. Including in this list, Paul says, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. All things. He is the creator and the sustainer of. He stands above them. Paul is clear in his teaching here that Christ is God. He is the creator. This is what is affirmed in John chapter 1 when John opens up his book. And says that by Him and through Him all things were created. And because they were all created by Him, He is the ruler over all of those things. Not just the physical world. Not just the world that we live in. Not just the world that we see. Not just the structures and those kinds of things here. Not just the geopolitical kingdoms that are around our globe. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Even those things within the spiritual world. Those things that are invisible. Paul goes so far to say in this passage that he is sovereign over the forces of evil that oppose him, that oppose his church. There is nothing outside of Christ's sovereign authority. He is God. He is creator. Christ is clearly described in terms that can only mean 
that He is God. Paul says all things created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. I like the old King James Version that reads, In Him all things consist. The picture here is that if Christ, if Jesus were to open His hand, there would be nothing. He holds it all together. And if He were to release it, everything would cease to exist. Paul believes and teaches the Colossian church that Jesus, whatever else is going on in the church at Colossae, he wants them to know that Jesus is God. So where did Paul get this idea from? It would be easy to say he got it from Jesus himself because certainly he did, but he got it way before that as well. Let me read this passage from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. It's one that we're going to be familiar with because we usually read it in December. Isaiah chapter 9. The prophet opens his words this way. But there will be no bloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time he has made, the, he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. He's saying that at a time there was judgment, but that judgment has come. Why? He says in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood, they will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah teaches that God, not one representing God, not one sent by God, not another prophet or apostle or king, but God himself would come to redeem his people from walking in a deep darkness. He would come as a son. He would come as a son. 
Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. Let those names settle in for just a moment. This Son, this God who's coming as His Son will be called Wonderful Counselor. The omniscient truth of God displayed to all of humanity. Isaiah just jumps right in. He doesn't give him so many titles here. He just says he's going to be called Mighty God. Mighty God. I really don't see how we can dispute the meaning of this child being God. He goes on to call him Everlasting Father. A title that's attributed only to God throughout the scriptures. And finally as the Prince of Peace. As the reigning Sovereign over all. Jesus is the peace of God. And Jesus is the God of peace. But Isaiah is not done. He says all of the government and all of the peace of his increase it will know no end. And he will set on the royal throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. There is no end to his kingdom. There is no end to his kingdom. Jesus is the God of justice. He is the God of justice. And we see that most clearly when he took your sin and he took my sin and he died for them. He took them on himself and went to a cross and there he died. And though he is the God of righteousness which he freely gives. He freely gives when we repent. When we by faith believe and embrace him. He is the God of justice and he is the God of righteousness. And his kingdom will never end. The love of Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. And like I said, we'll look at that next week. But please, beloved, I pray. I pray that we understand that, that the Bible, in these passages, and honestly, dozens more, clearly demonstrate, clearly demonstrate that the one we call Lord, the one we call Savior, is God. He is God. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, fully God with no waver. One of the old Baptist confessions, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, affirms it this way. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with Him who made the world who upholdeth and governeth all things he hath made. We've affirmed the divinity of Christ throughout the history, especially of Baptist history, but certainly even of church history. The Nicene Creed that we've looked at several times over the past couple of weeks reads, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, 
begotten from the Father before the ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through Him all things were made. Beloved, Scriptures clearly teach this God we worship is Jesus and He is God. <clears throat> the second thing I want us to see this morning is that as God, Christ is the head of all things, but especially the church. And the church is where I want to land this morning. The church is where I want to land this morning. Two passages I want to look at briefly. One's Colossians 1. It was the passage we began to read a few moments ago. But picking up in verse 18, Paul writes there, he, talking still about Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is the head of the body, the church. Paul uses almost the exact same words when he writes to the Ephesians church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 he says he put all things under his feet. God the Father put all things under his, Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. <clears throat> One of the phrases that we use a lot, I use, is this is my church. We drive by and we say, that's my church. <clears throat> Beloved, I'm so thankful that we are gathered here to worship. And this is the place where we recognize we are part of this body. But friend, this ain't your church. To be honest with you, until you die and raise again, we just get to be part of His church. It's His. He is the head over the church. He is the sovereign King of everything. And I say that because I know, I know maybe what's coming down the road. We're launching into a season in this church. A season right now we're calling revitalization. We're, we're launching into a season of revitalization. And I'll be honest with you and I'll be as straightforward as I possibly can. Friends, we are looking at everything. We are looking at our budget. We are looking at our leadership structure. We are looking at our giving and our stewardship. We are looking at our properties. We're even looking at the name of our church. 
and who knows what else may be coming down the line. We're looking at our identity as Christ followers and our role as a kingdom-focused, gospel-sharing, Jesus-worshipping body of believers. This is going to be a long and difficult journey. And there will be, indeed, there already have been struggles that we have faced. There's going to be times when we disagree on plans or strategies or visions or who knows what else. But here's the one thing. Listen closely, please. The one thing that will maintain the unity of this church is that our surrender to the one who is really the head of this church. And that is Jesus Christ. Our God. Surrendering to walk with Him. Regardless of where that will be. Will unify our hearts and unify our minds because... Even though we may have different paths that we want to take here, our eyes will be on the same King of Kings. Paul uses the exact same words in Colossians 1. He is the head of the body, the head of the church, as he does in Ephesians 1. He gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his Body. Last week we looked at the sovereignty of God. We recognize that no plan of God's can be thwarted. We recognize that God's sovereign purpose of us seeing and knowing and being conformed to His image is good. We recognize that because He has a sovereign plan, we can fight the good fight of faith. Beloved, right here in His church is where we fight the fight of faith. We do it on our knees in prayer. We do it with our noses and our hearts and our minds buried in His Word. We do it when we love one another in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the God of all creation. He was in the beginning, John says, with God and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. He is the head of the church. He created us. And He bought us. He bought us with His own blood. Paul tells us twice in 1 Corinthians, 1 and 6.20, 2 and 7.23. He exhorts us to know this. You were bought with a price. He says, so... Glorify God in your body. Secondly, he says, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. We belong to Christ. We belong to our God and King. We belong to this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father. We belong to the Prince of Peace. Since Christ, our God is the head over the church. Our response is humble obedience to His commands. 
His commands to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might, all of our strength, to love our neighbor. His commands to study His Word and be equipped for every good work, to glorify God in everything we do, to work, He says, as unto the Lord. To obey God as we give consistently and sacrificially, as we share the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection with this world. And when the time comes, we praise the name of Jesus for being counted worthy to suffer for the name of our God. For the name of our King. For the name of Jesus. Christ is the hope of this world in a deep darkness. He is the light that will shine into it. Christ is the hope of the church. He is our hope for eternal glory. And that brings me to the last thing I want to mention this morning. That our great God, our great God, Jesus Christ, is restoring us. He is restoring Christians to the image of God that we were created in. The problem with man, you'll let me simplify. The problem with man is that we were created in God's image. And now... Through our sin, we are no longer living in God's image. Oh, it's still here, but it's corrupted and it's broken and it's damaged. Romans 8 gives us that purpose. We looked at it last week that God predestined his predestined plan for us before the foundation of the world is that we would be conformed to the image of of Christ. We just learned that Christ is the exact image of God up in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. For us to be restored to the image of God, we need to know what that image looked like. If we're to look like God, we need to know what God looked like. And Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us Hebrews chapter 1 tells us we know what God looks like because we've seen Jesus. Because Jesus has been here. Hebrews chapter 1 says long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Who he appoint, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, his son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power and after making purifications for sin, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. We've seen Jesus. We have the record of his apostles who walk with him. We have the testimony of those who witnessed his 
miracles, who saw Him walk on water, who saw Him heal the lame and cleanse the leper and raise the dead. We have the testimony of His Word as they have seen Jesus. We know what He looks like because we have His Word that tells us from those who saw Him. And here's what's incredible. When people saw Jesus, they worshipped. When people saw Jesus, they worshipped. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11. Speaking of the Magi who come when Jesus is but a child. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. Again, let me set the stage. They saw the child with Mary his mother. Jesus has performed no miracles. He's not walked on water. He's not healed anybody. He didn't feed anybody with a kid's happy meal. He's not raised the dead, cleansed the leper, caused the the blind to see, the lame to walk. I'm not even 100% sure if he's potty trained by the time they get here. But when they walk in his house, look what the Bible says. They fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure. And they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When people saw Jesus, they worshipped. Later in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has come out to the boat, walking on the water, calming the storm. And the Bible says those in the boat worshipped him, saying truly, you are the Son of God. Well, you know, it's one thing to worship Jesus when He's a child in Bethlehem or wherever it was they were living. It's another thing to worship Jesus out in the boat when you feel like He just saved your life. But what happens when Jesus walks in to the throne room of God? In Revelation chapter 5, the Bible says when He, Jesus, had taken the scroll... The four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on earth. And then John the Apostle who's writing this says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them saying to Him 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And listen, the elders fell down and worshipped. When Jesus came into the throne room of the Father, they worshipped. God is among us in the person of Christ. And through our redemption, we worship the God who is conforming us. Each of us individually and us corporately. He is conforming us more and more into His good and perfect image. Paul writes to Titus, the young pastor, and he says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people of His own possession who are zealous for good works. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. The Pharisees recognized that He was saying, I am God. And so they picked up stones to kill Him. Today, beloved, when we are confronted with the truth that Jesus is God, I pray we follow Paul's instructions and we renounce ungodliness. We renounce worldly passions. And I pray we continue to look at this passage from Titus and live by the power of the Holy Spirit, self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present evil Wicked age. And indeed it is. An evil. And wicked age. But what this age needs. What this world needs. More than our disgust. More than our political posturing. Even more than our morals. What this evil. Wicked age needs. Is our God. name is Jesus. And he is the crucified, risen Savior and Redeemer. Christ our God is returning. He is our hope as we wait for His glorious appearing. But as we wait, friends, we have work to do. We have lost people in our church. We have lost people in our families. We have lost people in our community who needs to know Jesus. And He has commissioned no one else on the planet except His body, the church, you and me, to share that gospel with them. We have trials. We have struggles. We have pains. 
We have broken relationships that need to be restored. We have sin in our lives that need to be repented of and put to death. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 8, 13, says, By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. Indeed, earlier in Romans chapter 6, he says, You also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our great God and Savior, our hope of glory, our Redeemer is conforming us to His image. So that in our church, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can defeat the power of sin and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can look like Jesus. We can defeat this world of sin and in the Holy Spirit, we can look like Jesus. I was reading a lesson this week from Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And they, one of their lessons reminds us that they say that our salvation isn't some sort of get out of hell transaction. It is a transformation of who we are. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Friends, this morning, as we seek to know this God we worship, it is absolutely imperative. It is absolutely imperative that we know that God, our God that we worship, is eternally present in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That He is Father and that He is King and that God is Sovereign. And hear me please, that Christ is God. The Bible clearly demonstrates we just barely tip the iceberg but the Bible clearly demonstrates that Christ is God. And as God He is Lord especially of His church. And finally that Christ is restoring us. He's redeeming us. He's sanctifying us. He's giving us a new hope of glory as we are being restored to the image of His Son. I pray today first <clears throat> I pray that you know that God created you. I pray that you know that He loves you. I pray that you know that you have sinned. And that sin has separated you from Him. The wages of that sin is death. But God, who is, who is rich in mercy, by His great love, came Himself, put on flesh in Jesus, and took our sin, dying on the cross, to endure our judgment and then rose from the dead to give us eternal life. I pray this morning, first of all, that you know Him. I pray that we come to that knowledge and repent and by faith believe and embrace Him today.
But secondly, I pray for our church. I pray for our church. We need this great God, Jesus Christ, to intervene. We need God's presence and His power and His purpose and His wisdom and His discernment. We need His direction. And all of that comes. All of that comes in Christ. Our great and mighty Lord. Our great and mighty God. I'm going to close this morning praying Psalm 45. I would encourage you if you have a copy of the Word, if you would, to open there or turn it on. Psalm 45 is a, it's a love song. It's a love song of worship. It's a love song of a bride to her king. And Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that this song is pointing to Jesus. <clears throat> Pray with me as we read the words of the psalmist. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O oh God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the all of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold. Of warfare. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your peoples and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty, since he is your Lord. Bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts. The richest of the people. All the glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. Many colored robes she has led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. 
You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Father, this morning I am reminded that we, your church, is the bride of Christ. And that we are called to forsake that which holds us to this world. To pursue our King. To pursue our God. Whose throne and dominion have no end. Father, this morning and over the next couple of moments, I would just simply pray that your spirit would continue to move. That you would draw us to you in a way that causes us to repent and believe. Father, if that's for the very first time where you are redeeming someone, even in this very moment, then we would pray that you would give us opportunity to celebrate with the angels in heaven. Father, for those of us who know we have sin in our heart, who have seen this great light that we read of a few moments ago from Isaiah, but still seek to, to walk in darkness, I would pray that we would repent. We would cling to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for this church. As we seek to do your will, as we seek to follow you. You would keep us humble before you, obedient to you. We would love our God and we would love each other. And we would see your hand do that, which we can't even begin to ask or think or imagine. Thank you for Christ. His death and His resurrection. His call to eternal life through repentance and faith. His call to serve Him as His children and ambassadors of reconciliation. We trust You and we love You this morning. Use us for the advancement of Your kingdom this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.